0: Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. How's everybody feeling this morning? Yes, yes, yes. We need sweaters and blankets and all kinds of stuff. It is good to see. I'm glad you guys are here today. If I've not met you yet, my name is Journey Inn. It's my honor to be the pastor here at Discover Church. If I've not met you, man, come say hi. I would love to meet you and get to know you, get to know your story just a little bit. Parents that dedicated their kids this morning, so proud of you. Man, we love you. We're for you. We're behind you. And you are going to need what we're going to talk about today. We're in a series, uh, week three of our series called Dangerous Prayers. Dangerous Prayers. And as we've kind of gone through, and I've kind of alluded a little bit to the fact that prayer has kind of been something that has been a bit of a, of a struggle for me in my relationship with Jesus. Um, and, and I, can I just, can, is it okay if the pastor confesses something in church? Is that okay? I have to be honest that part of the reason why I struggle with prayer is because prayer sometimes seems to be like a super spiritual sounding cop-out to do nothing. Got really quiet. Listen, like, like how, how many times you ever asked somebody to help you with something and they said, well, I'll pray about it. Hey man, I need some, I need some help. Uh, you have anything going on this weekend? No. Why? Well, I need some help moving. I'll pray about it. Like it's good to pray about a lot of things, but there are some things that you just don't need to, you just don't need to pray about. Somebody is standing right there and they need help. I'll pray about it. No, you won't. You ain't gonna pray about it. Just go help them. My neighbor needs to hear about Jesus. Lived next to him for a long time. Have you ever talked to him about Jesus or church? I'm still praying about it. That one hits a little close, doesn't it? Part of my issue is that um, prayer is kind of a a spiritual sounding cop-out to do nothing. Part of my problem is that I have done way too many things without praying about it. And as a result, I have done some really stupid stuff with good intentions But because I didn't pray about it, I ended up having to pray about it. Does that make sense? As a husband, there have been a lot of things that I have said that I should have prayed about first. And because I didn't pray about it, I was eventually coming, Lord, forgive me, because I really sinned and screwed that one up. God, would you give me a tender heart to figure out how to make this right? Here's what I've learned in my journey with God and my journey with prayer. Uh, Number one, God loves prayer. God loves it when we pray. Do you know that? Nobody knows that. Okay. All right, class. It's okay if you respond a little bit today. All right. God loves it when you pray. Do you know that? Scripture says that, that because of our relationship, if you have a relationship with Christ, that you have access to the very throne room of God, you can come boldly before the throne of grace and make every prayer request and petition made known to him. Do you know what that means? It means that there is nothing that is too big and nothing that is too small for you to pray about. Now listen, what, 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 what exactly does that mean? It means that if you ask me to pray for your cat, I may or may not pray for them, but God loves it when you pray about your cat. I just offended a whole lot of people right there. I'm not a cat person, okay? You probably don't want me praying for your cat because I will pray against your cat. I have theological framework. The devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and your cat is not gonna devour me, I promise you. That's true, that's true. Thank you, Kevin. Here's the other thing that I've learned. Uh, God loves it when we take action. God loves when we, as his followers, take action. He loves it when we get off our rear end and we stop getting around to it. We stop thinking about it. We stop praying about it at some point and we actually go do something about it. But here's what else I've learned I've learned that God is not really a big fan of one without the other. God's not really a big fan of prayer without action or action without prayer. And so as we continue to lean into this series, as we continue to unpack this series of dangerous prayers, I, it's important that we recognize that prayer is powerful. Prayer does something. Prayer activates something in the spiritual realm where God is, and it activates things in our lives, and it, and it moves things. It moves the needle. Through the first two weeks of this series, we've learned about two dangerous prayers. We learned week one, speak to me. And last week, week two, we learned um, search me. And I hope that you've been encouraged or blessed or challenged in some way by, 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 by this message. In fact, if you have been prayed, can you just let somebody next to you know, I've been blessed by what God's word is saying to me. Would you tell your neighbor that right now? You can tell them, tell them it's okay, I've been blessed. God's speaking, God's challenging. If I've been listening to these messages, God's moving in my heart and that's okay. Each week in the series, I've given you a warning about each particular prayer. Let me give you this week's warning. Warning, this dangerous prayer will change how you view your life. This dangerous prayer will adjust how you approach situations, and circumstances. Do not pray this prayer if you don't want to change your perspective or change your approach to things. But if you're willing to change your perspective and your approach, then let me tell you what this week's prayer is. This week's dangerous prayer is make me bold. We find this prayer in Acts chapter 4. We've provide a little bit of context. Peter and John are, are two of Jesus' disciples, and they have, um, they have been preaching and telling people about Jesus. And as they have, there's been a man who, uh, has had an infirmity, some sort of ailment for the last 40 years, and they, somebody brings this man to him, to them, and they pray for this man to be healed, and he is. It is miraculous. The religious leaders are are hearing about what what Peter and John are, are are preaching about, and they've heard about how they've performed this miracle, and so they arrest Peter and John, and they bring him in front of the the, the legal council within the Jewish system, and they they try these men. And while they ask these men to give an account for what's going on, Peter and John, with boldness, make this accusation in Acts chapter four, verse ten. It says, "Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by." By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and here's the boldness, whom you crucified. He points at them and, and accuses them of murder, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands before you. This is their justification for this man that has been healed. And the religious leaders, they hear the defense and they are baffled. In fact, verse 13 says this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men and they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Now, listen, I find a lot of humor in a lot of things that God puts in the Bible. Sometimes it's on the surface and it's clear and obvious. Sometimes you got to do a little digging. And I, and I, as I found this week, as I was doing some research that there's some humor in this verse, because the word that is translated here as untrained men is from the Greek word idiota, where we get the word idiot. Now I, I'm going to only speak for myself. I'm not accusing anybody else, but I have never felt more seen in the Bible than I do right here in this verse. These religious leaders are looking at these men and they're asking themselves, these guys are idiots. How are they able to preach with this kind of conviction and clarity? And how on earth can these idiots perform such a miracle? They can't, they, they can't understand it. They don't know what to do. Now, they, they can't find any legal reason to continue to incarcerate them or to inflict any other damage on them. So here's what they do. They tell them that they're going to release them, but then they said, but you better stop preaching about Jesus. And if you don't, well, we are going to inflict some severe bodily harm on you. And it's kind of one of those situations I imagine as a parent when you're, when you're telling your kids something and you're like, if you don't do it, you don't want to know what's coming next. And then some of us have a kid that's just frustrating enough that goes, well, what's coming next? You don't even want to know. It's so bad, I can't even think of it right now. And so Peter and John are released and they're commanded, stop preaching about Jesus or else. These men get released. They go back to their friends, this Jesus community, and they begin to celebrate together. And then they begin to pray for Peter and John. And what is it that they pray for? I find it interesting what they pray for. In verse 29, it says, now, uh, now Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants with all boldness that they may speak your word. What do they pray for? They pray, God, make them bold. God, make me bold. This is an interesting prayer. I mean, think about it. Peter and John have been arrested. They've been set loose and said, listen, shut it down or else. And I can't help but wonder How might we have prayed in that situation? Let me make it real for you. If I were arrested today for preaching about Jesus and taken to, you know, downtown, that's what they say in the movies. You want to go downtown with us? You want to go to the station, right? They took me to the station and they interrogated me and they couldn't find a reason to hold me. But then they said, listen, Jernigan, you, you can be set free, but you better stop preaching about Jesus or else we're going to, we're going to cause bodily harm to you or to your family. And if I were to come back, maybe imagine several of us were gathered together at somebody's house and, and, and I come back in and we're like, whoo, sweet. They didn't kill me. They killed our our leader, Jesus, but they didn't kill me. Praise God. Let me ask you, what, what might we have prayed for in that situation? Well, I don't know. But if history is a predictor of the future, I have a feeling that my past prayers would indicate that I would have prayed for something different. I would have encouraged you potentially to pray for something different because anytime I've ever been in a situation where I have prayed for people as we were sending them out, maybe maybe toward, to go on a missions trip or uh, maybe it's a missions trip that I was leading. You know what I have been one of the most common, consistent prayers that I have prayed in those situations? God, would you protect them? God, would you keep them safe? Now, you know that you really spend a lot of time in church if you say the next part. Lord, would you put a hedge of protection around them? I have two observations about this. Number one, for the love of God, of all of the modern things in our 21st century reality, How is it still a thing that we are praying for hedges to protect people? Now, before I ever saw a hedge tree, anytime that I, like, I I would be around with my family. And listen, as a pastor, like I, in my early years in pastoring people, like I, I would even pray this. And can I tell you the thing that, because I didn't know what a hedge tree was. I didn't know it was like the tree from hell with thorns. When I would pray, God, would you put a hedge of protection? That's what you're supposed to pray, right? That's where we're in church. Pray for a hedge of protection. It makes you sound more spiritual. I was imagining like a boxwood bush. You know, if you don't know what that is, that's probably the bush that you have in front of your house. Okay. And, and, and I would imagine, Lord, would you just put a hedge of protection about him? And even as I was praying, and in my mind, I'm just processing the devil is the roaring lion who seeks whom he may devour. And I'm praying for a little bush. Might I just request, if you ever feel led to pray for my safety, would, could I kindly request that you pray for something a little bit more robust than a hedge of protection around me? Like, how about an armored tank division? How about body armor? How about flying drones armed with missiles? Come on, please. Here's my second observation. I think that our obsession to pray for safety is something that God finds curious. I can't prove this, but I don't know that there has ever been a generation of Jesus followers that have been more obsessed with praying for safety than ours. Where did that come from? It certainly didn't come from the earliest followers of Jesus. I mean, in Acts chapter four, I mean, they, they were just arrested. They were threatened. They were, they were saying, listen, stop it or else. But, but what did they pray for? When they came back, when Peter and John came back into the, into the home, when they were celebrating, oh, thank goodness Peter and John are okay. Lord, would you protect them? Would you keep them safe? No. That's not what they prayed for. They prayed for boldness. And why? Why would they have prayed for this? I believe that the answer for this is hidden in verse 13, in the second half. Notice what it says, after they say, how is it possible that these idiots are doing this? It says, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. The religious leaders had realized that these men, Peter and John, had been with Jesus. This is our clue, because what does it mean that they were with Jesus? They followed Jesus, they walked with Jesus throughout his ministry. And most importantly, I believe they were with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Jesus's greatest hour of need in the moment where he was just moments before he was to be arrested, moments before he was to be arrested and eventually sentenced to be beaten and crucified and died. What did Jesus pray for? We we know what Jesus prayed for. Luke chapter 22 tells us, it says, saying this, Father, it is your if it, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What is Jesus praying for? Is he praying that God would find another way, another method and another means? Yes, he is. It's okay when we pray to ask God, God, if there's another way that you can do this, by all means, you have my permission. But notice what he says not my will, but your will be done. In Mark's account of this story and in Matthew's account of this story, it tells us that Jesus, after he prayed that, he came back to his disciples who had fallen asleep and he says, listen, would you pray with me because my flesh or my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. What is Jesus praying for? He's praying For boldness. What is he asking his followers to pray for? He's, he's asking them, would you pray for me to have boldness? Because there's a part of me that recognizes what is required, but there is a huge part of me that is unsure as to whether or not I can go through with it. And after he prayed this, verse 45, verse 43, I'm sorry. It says that an angel appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Moments later, Jesus rises to his feet. He gets his disciples and he says, arise because my betrayer is at hand. Peter and John had been with Jesus. And from this moment, they watched how Jesus prayed when things got tough. They recognized Jesus isn't praying for safety. He's not praying for for any of that. He's praying for boldness. And most importantly, Peter and John saw the byproduct of what happened when Jesus prayed for boldness. Was he crucified? Yes. Was he beaten? Yes. But he also rose from the grave. And Peter and John knew, the disciples in Acts chapter four knew, something that you and I so oftentimes forget that following Jesus was never meant to be safe. It wasn't. Jesus was not arrested and crucified because he was safe. He wasn't arrested and crucified because he was timid or passive. He was arrested and crucified because he was bold. He boldly challenged the Pharisees and their wrong and faulty understanding of the law. He boldly went and sat with the the unimaginable and the unseeable and the forgotten people, the sinners and the tax collectors, and he would go with them and eat meals with them and go to parties with them. He boldly flipped over the tables in the temple when people were taking advantage and making a mockery of God's house. Jesus was bold. And I think sometimes we would do well to be reminded that the world never pays attention to the safe, timid, passive people. The safe, timid, and passive people never make an impact on the world. Let me let me make this a little bit more palatable because sometimes we can hear that last statement they never make an impact on the world and sometimes we can go I ain't trying to impact the world. I'm just like trying to live. <laughs> My world is very small. Thank you very much. Let me put it to you this way. Safe, timid and passive people never even make an impact on their own world. It is the bold It is the brave, it is the willing who impact the world. And when Jesus left this world, he gave his disciples their marching orders to go out into all the world and to boldly be his witness, to tell the whole world, about who he was and how he lived and what he taught and how he died and most importantly, that he rose from the grave and how he brought hope back with him when he did. As a church, the vision we have as a church is that we would see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. Can I tell you this? Our city will never be changed by Discover Church if Discover Church does not choose to boldly be a witness for Jesus. Let me make this a little bit more personal. Your friends, your family, your coworkers that you love, that you care about, that are close to you, but far from God, they will not be changed without your bold witness. And it's my hope that ours would be a church full of bold Christians that would be willing to communicate with their lives that Jesus is my king and I'm living for him. so let me ask this question. How bold are you? How bold are you? If you were to put it on a scale of one to 10 with 10 being so bold. Some of you might be a, Solid eight or nine, like like the people around you that spend time around you um, at at any given point, like they are aware that you know and love Jesus. They are aware that you have decided for your life and for your family that you're gonna plant yourself in the church of God and you're gonna serve, not only serve the church, but you're gonna go and, and be a part of the church to go serve the community. Love KC, by the way, is a phenomenal opportunity to make a bold declaration with your life that you are going to serve the city. Or maybe you're here today and maybe like, listen, no, I'm not trying to throw shade or guilt or anything like that, but maybe you're here and maybe you're like a two or three. Listen, can I tell you, there was a season in my life when I was young in my relationship with Christ that I was kind of like on the low end of the bold scale. I didn't know anything. I didn't know what it meant to be bold. And so for me, I would have people that would go, oh, oh, you're a Christian too. That's awesome. I also go to church. I thought. Listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to shame you or guilt you or anything like that, but I'm asking you the question: how bold are you? Because God's desire is that we would be bold. Let me tell you five things that happens when you pray for boldness. Number one: boldness triggers spiritual opposition. <clears throat> This is part of the bad news. This is gonna be kind of like a good cop, bad cop, good cop, bad cop, back and forth because I wanna paint the picture. I want you to be aware of what happens if you're willing to pray for boldness. In Acts 4, they prayed for boldness. In verse 31, it says, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. What happens after they do this? Fast forward to Acts chapter five, all in the same day, then the priest rose up and all who were with them, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and they laid their hands on the apostles and they put them in the common prison. Because of their boldness, they faced opposition. Why does this happen when we pray for boldness? Because there are few things that the devil of hell is more afraid of then when a follower of Jesus is more concerned about more people being touched by Jesus than they are of they themselves being touched by danger. There are a few things that the devil of hell is more afraid of. Because when we recognize as followers of Christ that have been bought and paid for by the death, burial, and resurrection, where we stand on the side of victory, the story is already written. Now, you want to know how the end of the story goes? Go to the end of the book. We win. The devil knows that he loses. And what he doesn't want is for you and I to begin living from the position of, I've already won the victory Therefore, I'm not afraid of what you can throw at me. When you pray for boldness, it activates triggers spiritual opposition, but but you also need to know this that boldness releases God's miracles. Good cop. Boldness releases God's miracles. Notice what happens in verse 19. But at night, so now they're in prison. But at night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Can you imagine this? I mean, here they are in prison. And now this massive angel of the Lord shows up. Eyes of fire, big, massive wings. I don't know what kind of sword he holds, but I'm sure it was impressive. And he shows up and he goes, hey, y'all want out? Cool. Cool. Springs the prison doors open. Boldness releases God's miracles. Can I just tell you that people who pray for boldness aren't surprised by God's miracles? Let me, let me, let me come at this from a different perspective. If you feel like you are not seeing the miracles of God in your life, I'm going to suggest to you it's because your prayers are too safe. If you are not seeing the miracles of God in your life, I wonder if it could be, if your prayers are too safe, then maybe your faith is too safe. And if your faith is too safe, then your life is too safe. And you are praying for God to show up and God's looking for heaven and going, it doesn't take a miracle to do that. You don't, you don't need a miracle. But the people who pray for boldness The people who walk in obedience to Jesus regularly see the miracles of God. I can't tell you how many miracles that I could tell you about in my life. I can't tell you the miracles that have happened in the life of our church. All because at some point, at somewhere along the way, prayers of boldness were offered up to God. And God goes, asked and answered. Follow me and watch what I'll do in and through you. Boldness always requires faith. The angel releases them and then notice what he tells them to do. Now go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. In case you're keeping score, they've been arrested twice, they've been set free twice and now the angel's telling them to go back to the temple a third time and keep on keeping on. Further goes to the point that I told you at the beginning, that I believe that God finds our never-ending uh, obsession with praying for safety curious, and I and I have to say, I don't think it's fully on an individual basis. I don't think it's fully our fault, though, because we have grown up in a time in one of the most interesting interesting situations in the history of the Jesus movement. I mean, we have grown up in a time where following Jesus was. For a large part of most of our lives, not only, not only were you not chastised or punished or criticized for following Jesus, like for, a, there, there was a long stretch there where following Jesus was cool. It was accepted. In fact, it wasn't that long ago that if you weren't following Jesus, you were on the outside. But can I just tell you something? That's not the story of the Jesus movement. For the last 2,000 years, the overarching story of the Jesus movement has been one leader, one dictator, one king after another, making it illegal to follow Jesus, making it illegal to gather and worship him, making it illegal to have a copy of the Bible in your hands. And people have been martyred for thousands of years in the Jesus movement because following Jesus has never been safe. Yeah, because we live where we do and we were born where we're born in the time that we've been born in, it is socially acceptable. It is cool. It is chic to follow Jesus. And can I just tell you like in comparison to the sacrifices that our brothers and sisters in Christ of old have paid, the price to follow Jesus now is still insignificant. Such was certainly the case with Peter and John. What happened to them? Well, if you were to listen to some of the more popular preaching that happens in some places in America, when you only hear about the blessings and the benefits of being a Christian, then you might be led to believe that as a result of this boldness, Peter and John, man, they done found the woman of their dreams. Supermodel. A Jesus hottie. You would think that perhaps they went on and they just got one promotion after another. They walked into a room and everybody goes, oh my goodness, Peter and John are here. We're not worth it. They went on to have three kids apiece, each one smarter and more attractive than the other one. Go on and do awesome things in this world, super successful. You'd think that Peter and John would have been able to be, reach a point of financial stability and such financial wealth. They could retire early and go travel the world. That's not what happened with Peter and John. Why? Because boldness will always cost you something. According to tradition, John was eventually arrested again. And his punishment for refusing to stop preaching about Jesus is that he was dipped into a massive cauldron of boiling oil intended to kill him. Somehow he miraculously survived And coming to the point of realization that we can't kill John, so we're going to excommunicate him to a deserted island called Patmos, where he would later write the book of Revelation. And Peter, when the time came for Peter to be punished, he was ordered to be killed by crucifixion. And when they began to crucify him, according to church tradition, Peter called out and said, I am not worthy to die the death my Savior died. Why don't you turn me upside down and crucify me upside down? And it begs the question, good cop, bad cop, good cop, bad cop. Like I'm trying to figure out why would anyone pray for boldness? And I'll tell you why. Because boldness changes people's lives. It's the prayer of boldness and the pursuit of obedience that causes you to do things that most people are unwilling to do. It's praying for boldness and when God shows up and speaks it to you and you begin to follow that, even though you know there's a cost, you recognize that the benefits outweigh the cost and you begin to do some things as a result of praying for boldness that the world is going to seem as odd, as strange and as weird, but it is through these decisions that people are going to see that you are different than the rest of the world and you there's something about you that is that is strange, that's peculiar, but I can't help but be drawn to it. It takes boldness to do what's right even when no one's watching. It takes boldness when you're at work in the neighborhood and you know that you have a friend, a colleague, a loved one, a family member, coworker, whoever that shares with you that they're going through some difficulty. It takes boldness to say, "Can, can I pray for you? That takes boldness. Now, some of y'all are like prayer champions. Like, y'all, are the ones that are praying the prayers, that the rest of us are like, mm mm, not praying after that one. Mm mm, no. Uh uh-uh. uh. All right, so for the prayer champions, y'all ain't got a problem with that. But for the rest of us, that's going to take some boldness. It's going to take boldness for you to take the drastic measures that are required for you to finally break free from the bondage of sin and addiction and the pattern that you have been living in. It's gonna take boldness to recognize that part of the reason why you're in that pattern is because of the people that you keep hanging around. And it's gonna take boldness to say, hey, you know what? I know we just kind of been dating and hanging out and hooking up and all that stuff, but listen, I gotta quit this. I got, I, I, I got to be done with this. I got to be done hanging out with you. I got to be done hanging out with those friends because my God's got something better in store for me and it, 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 it's not you, it's me. And it might break your heart in a moment and it might, it might confuse you to my friends. But I got some things that are dying inside of me that my God wants to bring to life. It's gonna take boldness for you to hey, listen, let me just I don't know who this was for. It's gonna take boldness for some of y'all to get rid of this and go back to a flip phone. What I love about that is some people are laughing because you think it's funny, but some of you are like Maybe I could finally break that porn addiction if I did. For some of you, it's gonna take boldness to recognize that part of the source of anxiety and envy and bitterness and jealousy is connected to your social media accounts and it's gonna take boldness to go, I don't need it anymore. It takes boldness to live in the grace and the truth of Jesus. It's gonna take boldness to recognize that some of the people that as soon as you see their face, you hear their name, you hear a story about them, that you are immediately filled with, with anger and indignation and, and hatred. It's gonna take boldness to make the decision to pray for them, to serve them. It's gonna take boldness to honor them by speaking good of them because you recognize that they are worthy of dignity. They are worthy of honor because the same God who created you in his image created them in his image. And the same God who sent his son to die for you sent his son to die for them. And it may just be that the messenger of that good news is you. It's going to take boldness to be willing to lovingly challenge and correct people that you are in close community with because you recognize they are, they are barreling down a freight train headed off a cliff and you need to get in front of them and say, listen, this is not the way to go, friend. It's going to take boldness. Boldness changes people's lives. Last week, um, I did a little bit of traveling. Um, Colin and I went to uh, Jacksonville. Um, I had a a thing that I, I helped with um, some some new church planters that are that are thinking about starting a new church. So it's kind of an assessment process and I won't bore you with all the details, but um, <clears throat> I went down to help help with that this past week. And on the way home, it was a late flight Tuesday night and we were leaving Jacksonville. We had a connecting flight in Nashville before we got home to Kansas City at about 11.15 uh, at night. And uh, we were there, we got there a little bit early and, and they came over the, the loudspeaker and said, you know, Ladies and gentlemen, customers of Southwest flight, blah, 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 you know, going to Nashville, um, your flight has been delayed. Nobody's excited when you hear that, by the way. And can I also just tell you, whoever the one that has to say that into the microphone, they're not excited about it either. Let me also tell you, it ain't their fault. So I heard that and I went up to the counter and I said, uh, hello, ma'am, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm connecting flight to Kansas city. Uh, you know, the flight's going to be delayed. Do I need to make any other arrangements or are we going to still catch our flight? And she said, sir, um, we've got a number of people from this flight that are going to Kansas city. So we're going to hold that plane. I go, okay, great. I immediately felt bad for those people. I've been those people before. About an hour, hour and a half goes by and we're starting to board and, um, we're talking to, Colin and I were talking to another couple, and I think I was wearing a KC shirt or something like that, and they were from KC and struck up a conversation. And um, they said, yeah, apparently there are five flights in Nashville that are being held because of this flight. For a little bit of point of reference, we didn't leave Jacksonville until my flight from Nashville was supposed to leave. We get to Nashville and they come over, over the speaker. Uh, probably it's from uh, Southwest, blah, 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 Jacksonville. Make your way to gate, whatever, whatever. All the way across the country to the other terminal. Uh, please get here as quickly as you possibly can. Now, why am I telling you this story? It, this is not a story to complain about the, the airline industry, okay? Started thinking about, on my way home, I knew I was going to be preaching this message. And I started thinking about, I don't know, why the original flight was delayed. But whatever it was, it was a decision that impacted people's lives and their plans from all across the country, coming and going to who knows where. And I believe that your one decision to pray for boldness can have a ripple effect beyond anything that you could possibly imagine. How do I know that? Because I just read to you a story from 2000 years ago in Jerusalem about idiots that chose to pray for boldness. And now we are gathered here together still talking about the one that they prayed for boldness to tell the world about. So I'm challenging you on behalf of the people that are close to you and far from God, on behalf of the people in our city that are desperate for hope, on behalf of the marriages that are struggling and broken, on behalf of the young adult who's contemplating suicide, on behalf of the person who is caught in addiction, on behalf of the person who has been led to believe that Allah is the way or Buddha is the way, on behalf of the people who have yet to come face to face with Jesus, the Almighty God, the creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, and yes, Kevin, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who has the keys to sin and death, the ability to give them life, the ability to set them free, on behalf of them, and on behalf of our Lord, I'm begging you, I'm daring you, I'm challenging you. Pray for God. Make me bold. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816 203 1835. Again, that's the word faith to 8162031835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.